anyway, so as far as the uh, everything everywhere all at once uh, campaign, if you will, I just feel that uh, it's important uh, to be to pro- provide a certain energy that translates into what I call being a determined detractor. You know, no ambiguity. I really think this is a borderline evil film that in terms of its uh, chops, in terms of what it's about, in terms of the kind of trashy, marvelous quality that it, that it uh, exudes. Although, I like there's one thing I like about this, which is the very, very end, when they use refrain, and she is still sort of daydreaming it off in her own realm, and, and Jamie Lee Curtis says, are you paying attention? Are you hearing me? And she asks, and she replies, I'm sorry, did you say something? You know, that's a, that's a very good ending. But that's the only thing that I really like about it. Well, I think I, I have this theory of Oscar movies. I call it the kicking puppy syndrome. If you have an Oscar movie that people feel like when you hit at it, it's like kicking a puppy. Oh, kicking. Okay, I, I got it. I got it. It's not a puppy, uh, Sasha. Come on. Yeah, you know. I know it is, but it's like the King's Speech was that movie. You, If you kick a puppy, people feel bad, and I feel like everything, everywhere, all at once is one of those puppy movies where if you attack it, people feel bad. Oh, fuck that. Um, malignancy. It's a real malignancy. Well, I'm telling you, I'm just telling you. All right, so here's the thing. Um, I... I don't agree that it's an evil movie. I think it's well-intentioned. I think that it's it's a lot of um, sound and fury signifying nothing. Yeah. Like, ultimately, what this movie is, is, is it's just your typical Gen Z film Twitter yeah. thing of, like, you know, a mom accepting her gay daughter, you know, and, and that's that's what, that's their vibe. You know, that's what they find very... Uh, I don't know, moving or inspiring. I don't know. What I see it as is um, the great awakening of 2020 was mostly about race and racism. And it was about race and racism for almost the entire four years that Trump was in power. There yeah. was the mass hysteria. was It was around Me Too and women, but it was yeah. also around race and racism. And the social justice movement that started on Tumblr around yeah. 2013 of the social justice warriors creating this new religion. Um, I think it's about white kids wanting to be part of it and not being able to be part of it because they're white. So by being gay or non-binary or, you know, yeah. uh, right. that that allows them to be part of this, you know, this generational movement. And so for them, anything that's LGBTQ friendly is feels um, relevant and important and groundbreaking, yeah. you know, and the and the conservatives are playing right into that because they're playing the culture war with them. They're giving them something to fight against. They're giving them people who are opposed, so that they can feel like every other generation needs to feel like they're they're knocking things down. They're creating something new, um, and the left. All the people on the left, all the liberals, the touchy-feely boomers and all that, they're too indulgent. And so they don't give them anything to fight against. They're like, sure, it's okay, honey. You can get transgender surgery when you're 10. That's fine. Uh-huh. Um, but the conservatives are like, you know, 
providing what they actually crave, which is something to push against, something to fight against. What are you rebelling against? What do you got? You know? Yeah. Well, um, uh, for, for what it's worth, uh, I took the, uh, what I regarded as, and maybe I'm mistaken here, but I understood that the gay daughter thing and the acceptance thing was a minor side issue in the film. It was, uh, I didn't care one way or the other. I thought, you know, what's the point of being... That's the whole thing. The whole, the whole movie is about traditional Chinese woman goes through all these experiences so that she can finally be accepting of her gay daughter. Oh, my God. That's what it's about, that. bro. It's a, it's, a, it's a 2020 revolution. Everything about postmodern theory, it's all what exactly the woke, the great awakening is all in that movie. That's it. You know, it's, uh, it's like erasing the past, making way for the new. Um, it's just covered up with a lot of this other metaverse stuff, but that's the ultimate message of it. And um, I you, think that... I don't agree, but that's fine. It certainly didn't matter to me. I, 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 I had no interest in paying attention to the daughter's relationship with her girlfriend. Who cares, you know? I was Well, just, the mom, the whole, the whole conflict is a thing, is that the mom is traditional... Chinese, and she's afraid to tell her mother about her gay relationship. Oh, my God. Okay. Well, I'm just telling you, that's what the movie's about. That's why film Twitter loves it. You know, have you noticed that most of the movies that are popular on film Twitter have an LGBTQ storyline, right? Because that's what comprises the majority of the people who write about the Oscars. Not all of them, but most of them. And so it resonates with them. And, um, and and that is part of what, I'm sorry to have to say, and I don't mean this in a bad way, I just mean it's starting to alienate audiences. It's part of it. Because America is still 95% heterosexual. And you don't get more heterosexual than Top Gun Maverick, despite the homoerotic undertones throughout. <laughs> it's a very heterosexual movie. And, you know, audiences aren't necessarily, like my mom, for instance, she's a, a good liberal. She watches The View. She watches Rachel Maddow and all that crap. But she, uh, she you know, it's, for her, it's, it's all become, you know, in her words, just too gay. Like, it's not that she's homophobic. She's not interested. She's not that interested in that story. That doesn't drive her every single day of her life, you know. Um, it's not the thing that, that she wakes up thinking about. But for a lot of people who cover movies, that apparently identity is everything, you know? That so is, um, uh, the, uh, the the woke thing is all about, um, you know, race, gender, identity, that we, we all understand that. And But I just find it immensely boring to, to meditate upon that and to see everything in those three uh areas of, of celebration or concern and, and i and i therefore when watching this torture fest of a movie i didn't i mean i just thought it was a peripheral issue that mom is going to eventually get over it i mean it's ridiculous the only thing say i like one thing that her mother said about her, was it either her daughter or the, or the girlfriend had a bad haircut uh she said you should let your hair grow in on the side that's the one thing that I that, that stirred me, you don't rec- recall that. Don't you remember the bad haircut or something? Like, no. I just remember thinking that the mom was mean to the daughter about her weight and stuff. 
I think that this movie to people like you know your reader that that awful Jeremy Fassler guy. Yeah, yeah. Who he is? He is like he is stalking, stalked me for so long, wrote all these terrible things about me on Facebook, and now for some reason he's stalking your comment section, being totally annoying every five seconds. But he is the target audience for this movie. Exactly him. Right. Um, And so to him, this movie and being on your website is like living out this movie because he sees you as the Michelle Yeoh type. And he sees himself and his generation as the new thing wiping away the old. And so that's why it's resonating with so many young people. However, I will point this out. You know, uh, I'm trying to think of the last movie that won Best Picture that had a strong, oh, Moonlight. I guess Moonlight is the only one I can think of that has a strong LGBTQ theme. The rest of them don't. Coda doesn't, Parasite. As Spike Lee said over and over again, yes, it was a strong uh, LGBTQ quality, but it was mainly, according to Spike Lee, uh, a way of refuting the uh, Oscar So White of the year and a half earlier. Uh, Well, sure. I mean, of course, it was 2016. Trump had just won. You know, of course it was going to... It was winning because politics, absolutely. But I'm just saying, I'm just straight up, in terms of movies with LGBTQ themes, they don't generally win Best Picture. Yeah. Coda didn't, Parasite didn't, Nomadland wasn't, yeah. um, you know, Green Book wasn't, uh, you know, I can't, Moonlight's the only one I can think of recently that has. And, um, and so that is a strike against everything, everywhere, all at once in terms of precedent. Like that yeah. part of it makes it a little bit harder to win. But at the same time, it's a weird year for Best Picture because it's hard for me to see Top Gun winning with these people. It's hard for me to see the Fablemans winning with these what, people, you know? What people, exactly? The, what, the Academy, the Academy. Well, that's obviously love, not one thing. There's the older Gen X boomer contingent. There's the younger. There's the overseas contingent, which is a, especially attuned to, uh, to matters of racial, you know, equality and. and yeah, what you what you got to think about are the actors. The actors are the majority. They're the ones who are really woke and image conscious. They're yeah. the activists. They're you know they're so. What movie are they going to like? Are they going to like Top Gun? Are they going to like The Fablemans? Are they going to like everything everywhere? What's going to make them feel proud to put on their Instagram? Because Top Gun, the, the success of Top Gun and the current success of uh, of Avatar Two: The Way of Water is that the industry is is not necessarily dying, or it's certainly dying a lot more slowly because of these two films, and the potential for more successes, which matters to people. Bread and butter stuff always matters more than anything else. Uh, it should matter because Top Gun is an $800 million baby that isn't with uh, taking place in an alternate universe. It isn't a superhero movie. It's just, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a fairly unbelievable action movie, yeah. but it's still real people, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. human beings. And so I think that that would be my best argument for Top Gun winning is to desperately cling to whatever is left of the film industry. Uh-huh. and the Oscar industry. If you want to die, if you want to put it on streaming and have it be as insignificant as, like, Fashion Week, 
Yeah. Then do it. You know, keep going in this direction. But if you want to bring the Oscars back, I, you know, I talked about Gladiator today in my in my column about this. Yeah. The first year I started, it was Gladiator. It was five movies: Gladiator, Aaron Brockovich, um, Traffic, uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and Shakala. And Shakala was in because of Harvey Weinstein, the dominance of Harvey. It had no other reason to be there except that Harvey was good at the Oscars. Will you say, say the word chocolat? Chocolat. But, but it, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I know there's a film called Chocolat, C-H-O-C-O-L-A-T, pronounced chocolat. Yeah. Okay. Chocolat, yeah. All That's right. it. That was the other. And it was only in for Best Picture because of Harvey Weinstein. It, um, it, had no, it wasn't seen by many people. It wasn't a very popular but it showed you the harbinger of what the future of the Oscars was going to look like. Um, movies that were, you know, hand-delivered to Oscar voters, uh, exactly what they wanted, that had no connection to the public at all. Mm-hmm. And the other movies, especially Gladiator, all had a connection to the public. They were all with big stars. They made a lot of money. Steven Soderbergh directed two of them. You know, that was a really thriving year. But 2019 was also a thriving year for Oscars, you know, Um, a lot of good movies that year. And ever since that, the Great Awakening and COVID and all that, it's just flatlined. I think that the the people who are invested in race, gender, and, and sexuality, above all other things, identity issues, are not obviously cineasts. They're not people who really love the emotional, spiritual potential of movies, they're into an agenda, a particular agenda of change, social change, obviously. But And they want it to be reflected in the movies that they celebrate. It, it's maniacal what they're doing. Yes. They're and it's well, not... It's all, it's all one big thing. It's a religion that has overtaken mm-hmm. the left. And it's everywhere. It's propaganda. It's in everything everywhere all at once. (laughs) They want to foist this ideology on the rest of America, and they don't want it. They don't want it. So it's a conundrum, you know. Um, But it's especially, it's hit Hollywood especially hard, and it's hit the Oscars especially hard, you know. Hollywood with superhero movies and big blockbusters, that's probably always going to survive. But the kind of movies that we like, you know, The Wolf of Wall Street, those sort of yeah. things, those are the things that are going to be uh, retiring if if they don't pull it together. And the Oscars are the only things that hold that up. And they have to start moving to the mill, just like in politics. You know, they have to start trying to be a little more, a little more populous, a little less insular. You know, just as... Um... People have uh, long claimed it's been part of the legend of Hollywood that in 1981, uh, Heaven's Gate is the huge disaster that killed the, uh, the the belief in the auteur and that we have to have investment in, in auteur-driven films. Uh, the, the whole auteur thing kind of like collapsed after Heaven's Gate. And one could say concurrently that the complete and utter failure of Babylon has killed the 
the, the I guess the legend or the hope or the dream that strong directors can bring in fascinating films that we have to kind of invest in them. People will use the Babylon disaster as as an as a indication, a symbolic indication of the kind of thing that Hollywood doesn't want to do, which is heavily investing in a flamboyant, high, very expensive film that completely flops, completely flops. Well, for one thing, Hollywood has destroyed itself in as much as they've suddenly decided uh, against the meritocracy and towards the uh, – the opposite of the meritocracy, which, you know, the equality of outcome, meaning yeah. that they're not hiring the best writers anymore. They're not hiring the best executives. They're not hiring the best people at the top to say to Damien Chazelle, buddy, this isn't yeah. working. you got to fix this shit, man. This can't fly. Yeah. One of the problems with uh, Netflix is that they do that. They indulge their filmmakers too much, and they yeah. let them make three-hour movies that nobody wants to see. And it's like it's just masturbation. That's all it is. And it's like, okay, fine. What do you want? You want awards? Is that what you want? Uh-huh. I mean, it, it used to be that the, the box office decided, the free market decided, you, you know, the movie, the, the play, the producers, um, the Mel Brooks movie, that's about is it a hit, isn't it a hit? And that's what audience, uh, filmmakers used to aim for. But over time, that just changed. They, they started aiming more for awards. Um, and this this little elitist group of film critics yeah. that you know has taken away the free market as the decider, and the free market is the best, still the best decider yeah. for good movies. Like if they they should can you know they don't look they don't really like the audiences don't like my favorite movie Banshees that isn't getting the best audience score. Babylon is a catastrophe. You know, and yeah. it, it, they've already burned their bridges with, with audiences as it is. And so Babylon could have been a movie that reeled them back in with big stars, um, a, you know, a fun send-up of old Hollywood. But he didn't have someone over his shoulder saying, hey, man, I like this, but we have to have a conversation. You know, there's, where's the Louis B. Mayer calling him in and, and you know, ordering them to, to get it right so that audiences will like it better? Yeah. Why isn't that factored in? Why is it that a movie that has within the first five minutes an elephant shitting in the face of the audience, why yeah. wasn't there one person to stop him and say, hey, man, uh, I, I kind of like this idea, but no, we're not going to put out a major motion picture that cost hundreds of millions of dollars with an elephant shitting in the face of the audience within the first five minutes. And we're not going to have a beautiful star like Margot Robbie projectile vomiting and running around in a circle with a rattlesnake stuck to her neck. Yeah. You know, we're going to make her pretty. We're going to make her sexy. We're going to put in scenes, lots of romance where she's being wooed and she looks great and, you know, give her a good storyline. But, you know, why make her grotesque? You know, because why are you... Mel believed in this idea of a grotesque Hollywood sort of collapsing. And he, what's funny, when he was speaking about it in the Q&A that I attended at the, uh, at the um, Lincoln Square, he talked about um, how there was something uh, really native and, and local and kind of crazy and exciting and about uh, old Hollywood before silence came in. But and not that, like that. 
Yeah, but that's that's what I didn't get. He was very invested in this idea of the Bacchanalian, whatever liberation of, of Hollywood. I know, but that's that, that's that's what someone who never lived through Bacchanalian days would yeah. make of Bacchanal. If you, I mean, I'm sorry, poor guy. He's young. Give him a break, right? He doesn't know what life used to be like. But you know, mm-hmm. if he lived through the the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, you know, a lot of these filmmakers fil- film is their only experience, like. Um, Tarantino, you know, they they only really get their their background, their life experience from having watched movies, and uh, so he has to try to one up someone like uh, Tarantino, but it's missing any sort of. I actually I liked Babylon myself. I was you know if it was just a movie that was made for me and I I watched it, I got a lot out of it, especially at the end. I appreciate those big swings he took. But it's making a movie for the public, for yeah. audiences. You know, you, you, you have to make a movie that, that you know, they're going to like, that they want to see. You don't, you know, Hollywood has this idea that it's their job to change how people think in America. And Top Gun, you know, doesn't do that. It, it just says, I'm going to entertain you for two hours. I'm going to give you the best I got, and you're going to enjoy it. And you're going to walk out of the theater with a smile on your face. Um, and that's it, you know, like, it's so basic. But why wouldn't more people want to do that for audiences? Yeah. Give them something to feel good about their lives, you know. Um, yeah, so anyway. Something that, that seems to have a current that speaks to them emotionally, that, that matters to them, that matters to anyone who has a has had a difficulty or, 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 or you know, struggle in life which we all have. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, there's this, that idea of appealing to that kind of thing, to have that kind of current in the film, that seems to be almost, um, it, it's almost pretty much vanished. And, and it certainly was, wasn't the case with, uh, with, 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 with Babylon. Uh, the, uh, the, the Paramount executive got behind it. It was basically, we go with Damon, Damien's uh, view, his, his vision, or nothing. We don't compromise them because we're, we want to be artist friendly. The idea is to draw in other major filmmakers and come and bring them back to the Paramount fold. That was the initial idea, anyway. So mm-hmm. It was a mistake. It was a mistake, and I mean, it'll always be regarded as a Heaven's Gate like catastrophe. But uh, it's like uh, you know, it's, it's, well, it's, I don't know if it'll it'll be remembered as quite that. You know why? It, it was terrible. It was awful. I mean, it, it, it people hated it basically, um, you know. So, it, it, I, I think that people are going to use that as a kind of a symbol of what could go wrong if you overindulge a filmmaker. Yeah, uh, with- that's the truth. He needed. I mean, it's good for him to fail. I'm sorry it cost him a hundred, hundreds of millions to get to that lesson. But what I'm wondering is, where are the Louis B. Mayors? Where are the people at the top? Well, not so much. As talking about uh, Solberg. Solberg was the guy who really got in and made that. Or whoever. Like, where are the person saying, standing up for the audience and saying, buddy, yeah. you can't make this. I mean, you can make this movie if you want it to flop. You know, if you want it to flop, make this. Is it like the producers, you know? They where, tried to make the worst movie that they could make. What about who were the executives that should have stepped in and told Peter Jackson when he was making his almost three-hour length King Kong, 
Come on, man. This is just a, a, a big monkey movie. It's a gorilla movie. That's going to be a lot of fun. It could be artful in certain ways, but do we have to have it this long, this laborious? Well, I mean, for I can understand guys like Peter Jackson and Jim Cameron not having anybody step in, but Damien Chazelle uh, isn't hasn't yet earned that status. He's a really good director, in my opinion, very promising, yeah. um, but he hasn't earned a status of a total green light like that. Like, I don't understand why. I, mean, I don't, I think there are very few directors who have. Greta Gerwig has not. You know, a lot of these hot directors, they haven't yet earned their, that kind of stature, you know. Those guys, Cameron and Jackson, they were bringing in $100 million babies over and over and over again. Yeah. And so you can see why, why people would give them, you know, total control. But, you know, the old days of Hollywood, as we know, was always, you know, very, very disciplined. Yeah. It had to be. You, know? you mentioned Greta. Could you give me your woman's intuitive uh, feel about what um, uh, Barbie's going to be like and whether it's going to be received? You know, do you have any Well, see, so uh, Greta Gerwig and any female director, whether it's Sarah Pauly or... Uh, or anybody who is making movies today, Gina yeah. Prince, Bikewood. Um, my yeah. problem is that people treat them like children or like they have some major disability because they're a woman, so they don't yeah. want to criticize them. But if you don't criticize them, they can't be better film directors. So basically right. they have to run a whole career on having people pander and lie to them and pat them on the head and say, good job, honey. And, um, and so they'll never be truly great. Catherine Bigelow had to compete with the big boys, you know, Jane Campion too. Like they had to learn how to be good directors because no one was going to do them any favors. But now all of a sudden it's Little Women is a great movie. No, it's not. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some people might think it is. Okay, fine, that's right. But there were big mistakes. You know, and so I, I, that's my only worry with Barbie. Did she get the lesson from Little Women? Um, did she get that lesson? I don't think she did because she got a Best Picture nomination. She got a lot of people standing up for her. She stopped talking to you, right? <laughs> so um, I, I think that Barbie could be good. I think that it's going if it's if it's woke, it won't be good. If it's not woke, like the trailer, it'll be great. You know, uh, when you look at what I said to Greta about Little Women, which is that every, I, I said all positive things that I felt were honestly there. I really said, this is, this is not about, uh, I mean, I'm, this is not a, in any way, uh, an attempt to diminish or criticize really, uh, what you've done here. And I, and I appreciated how good it was in this way. And that way I mentioned the closing scene, which I liked. And, uh, and you know, I, I said, it just doesn't happen to ring my bell as like the others. But there'll be the next one and the next one after that. So it's not, so please don't take this as a, I don't like your film. It's just that it didn't quite do it for me the way, uh, you know, your, your previous films did. And, and, and this just a, you know, a minor speed bump as far as my perspectives are concerned. And just saying it that way, you know, not in any way criticizing the film, but saying it's just me got me into the doghouse. It's amazing how you can, uh, or you, you, ha- you can't say anything, really, that is uh, other than uh, abject praise. That's all you can say when you talk to 
filmmakers for the most part. Well, I know because they're so used to, especially if they get into the Netflix pipeline, she's not, but in general, like with uh, Alejandro and Bardo, it's like they really, they really don't want to hear anything negative. And, you know, fine. I understand that. I, Mm -hmm. I understand that desire to not have your film panned, especially when you're trying to do something good. The problem right. is that Greta Gerwig isn't good yet. She isn't. She's starting out. She's just learning how to be a filmmaker. And same with Damien Chazelle. He's just starting out. He got lucky for his first two movies. They were wonderful. And, you know, right. he needs to learn the lesson of failure, and so does she. But she never will because it doesn't matter how bad her movie is. It's always going to get a pass because she's female. Yeah, right, right, right. But... At the same time, if Barbie is like the trailer, I think it's going to be good. If it's not like the trailer, if it's all about Barbie deciding that, you know, she doesn't want to be a, a, a you know, <laughs> that she thinks she's she's perpetrated this. Well, I mean, it's it's made by the Mattel company, so I don't think it's going to be insulting to Barbie. It's 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 helped. It's backed by the by the Barbie company. So it, you understand. It, uh, thrust of it, it, which is basically about Barbie and Ken and others living in a kind of Barbie world. It's a protected realm, and they want to, uh, you know, a little like the Truman Show. They want to break out and experience the real world and real life, and that's mm-hmm. what the basic idea is. Well, I like that idea. It sounds good to me, but I just wonder what is it that they mean exactly. I guess we'll see. I mean, is it like Splash? You know, the movie Splash. Does she come out and she fall in love with a a, a regular person? And then the romance. Real, but that's not, that's not a bad idea, actually. Uh, she falls in love with, with a real dude, and the, and the real person is like, "Who are you? You're you're like a Barbie doll. I mean, you know, you gotta like open your yeah. Up. Well, no, I mean the opposite. The opposite. Wouldn't that be great? Like a guy. Like this is how I would make it. I would make it some lonely guy who can't stand what's happened to women because they become too radicalized, too, um, you know, feminazis or whatever. And, and they are, or, you know, or they're gay or they're, they're not, you know, they don't want to wear high heels and makeup and stuff. And then he meets Barbie and she's like this ultra feminine, perfect person. And, you know, he falls madly in love with her because he's like, I can't believe you actually exist. I didn't know women like this existed. And I was like, oh, wait, no, she's a doll. She doesn't exist. Funny. Well, that would be <laughs> that would be pretty ironic. Uh, that was that, Flash, that, remember? Cool. Flash, yeah. Flash was like this beautiful blonde, comes out of the sea naked and, and naive and just falls for the guy, wants to have sex with him all the time, you know. Yeah. It was a male fantasy. I don't think that Barbie's going to be a male fantasy, but it would be funny if it was. I think part of the story once uh, Barbie and I think Ken are out in the world is that there is a kind of a Mattel person, a, uh, a, 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 a somewhat similar to the Ed Harris figure in the Jim Carrey uh, 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 film uh, uh, Truman Show, and he's trying to bring her back in to the realm where she belongs and not the real world. So it's kind of a there's that tension also. He wants to uh, lasso her and bring her back to her natural environment, her natural realm. So. Well, I guess we'll see. I mean, it's written by her and Noah 
but I'm back. Well, so, I'm back. Uh, yeah, right. I'll be interested to see how it works out. I don't know if this this conversation is recording. I really hope it was because it was pretty good. Yeah. But um, uh, I just didn't... back to um to um uh, uh, everything everywhere all at once. The reason that I wrote about it is because I think it's significant that Scott, who you know, pretends to take the uh, the, 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 the pulse of the town and read things and he talks to he decided to bail on everything all at once after it being at the top of his list. And that is significant. That means something. That means well, get I mean it's, yeah. Well not really. I mean he also picked Juno to win Best Picture, don't forget. Like Scott isn't as as unfallible as you seem to think he is. Um he he well, definitely not, is he's infallible. But he did pick up signals that told him there's something problematic about about everything everywhere all at once he must have well i think i i mean i personally think you have to be living in a twitter dream world to think that that movie's going to have an easy way of winning best picture when it's, it's almost unwatchable yeah exactly um yeah i my friend michael watched it you know and he said he couldn't he absolutely couldn't stand it and couldn't wait for it to be over so I, recently, just just the other day, yeah. And I feel like if a, if, if a movie, if he reacts to a movie like that, it it makes me think it, it's harder to win on a preferential yeah. right. ballot, you know. Um, but the only thing that makes it stronger is if we're still in the in the woke scare of like no white men can win ever. <laughs> Because no, since Green Book, no white man has won director or picture. Right. Since Green Book. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I'd be curious to see if that ends this year. If it's Fablemans or Top Gun, that means it's going to end. My problem with Fablemans is that I don't know what people would be voting for. What are they voting? There's always got to be a reason why they vote for something, you know. Oh, I can figure. Uh, Really, I mean, there's just not enough in the Fableman to really fall uh, heavily for. It's got the wonderful John Ford scene at the end, and it's got the uh, Judd Hirsch rant, which is good, but it's not great. But it's good. It's good. It's it, you know, it's well written, well acted. But it's it's so hard to make an argument for a movie that did so poorly at the yeah. box office. Yeah. And the reason it win... did so much of it is about the uh, about uh, the young filmmaker. Sammy, who's supposed to represent Steven Spielberg, being so upset and, and traumatized, really, by his mother's uh, growing affection and kind of, you know, affair with Seth Rogen's character. And that section, that, that obsession in that film goes on forever, forever. And then it finally into uh, the anti-Semitic uh, white guys giving poor Sammy a, 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 an ugly bad time when he's in high school. And then you have to do, go, go through all that. That's about a half hour. And then the crazy, uh, bizarre uh, girlfriend who's a Jesus freak who wants to be with Sammy because he's Jewish, but, uh, you know, she can't be with him really in any long-term sense because he's the same reason, because he's Jewish. It's a bizarre thing. It's like, I, you know, I didn't know what to do or feel about that whole section, but I definitely wanted it to be over so something else could happen. And then finally he goes to Hollywood, and then we have that good, good ending that that you know that makes a lot of sense. That 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 yeah, matters. Yeah, I mean, what I 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it helps if you're a, a Spielberg fan and you just want to see his origin story and you want to see where he came up with some of his ideas. Like, for me, I found that to be valuable. Um, it, it's just, it's hard to make that movie speak for this whole year as the movie of the year. Like, you can argue for Top Gun, you can argue for everything everywhere in its own way, yeah. but you can't, Fableman's, it's, it's a tough it's a tough uh, load there because mm-hmm. how does it speak for this year in any way? It doesn't. It's just strictly a, a, a Spielberg testimonial and everybody uh, feels... But it's, but it's not only that. It's also yeah. part of this and, and this hurts Banshees too and it hurts a lot of the Oscar movies which is it's, it's in the pile of movies that failed to draw an audience. Yeah. And that's that's a story this year, a big story this year. The Oscar movies are dying, and those movies reflect that. So how does that turn around to being a movie voters vote for? Like, I just don't see how they they do that. Um, it's funny so, how, looking at Scott's list, he also has uh, Glass Onion in the in his top ten yeah, amongst his what he calls front runners, and I was. Thinking, how could he possibly be taking that? Given what <laughs> where think? is um where is um, Babylon on his list? He has it actually in his major threats, which is the second list, which is basically your you know no not not a chance in hell if it's a major threat. Uh, he also has women talking in major threats. Uh, she said, which I, I think should definitely be in the in the top ten. Well, uh, listen, here's the thing: if Babylon is out then that means another movie takes its place and you have to figure out which one that is. I have a feeling Black Panther is going to do it because they're going to want to pick a movie that, you know, represents the black community and there aren't any. So it's got to be either Till or Black Panther or something. Um, But also, uh, I think All Quiet on the Western Front should be the movie that the voters pick for Best Picture from Netflix instead of Glass Onion. Uh, he has Scott has all quiet in the Western Front among on his front runner list. It's on the. Oh, good! Uh, Yay, Scott! That's awesome. Yeah. Good for him. I do too. I think that if you deny that movie, you're an idiot. I think yeah. a lot of people are going to pick that movie as their number one, and um, it placed really high on the on the short list. Does he have it in for director? Oh yeah, there's a whole thing, but I I only cropped out the um, the top. I think cats. I think that Ed Edward Berger is going to get in for director for that. I think he just did an absolutely brilliant job with that movie. All right. So I think it's going to get in. I wouldn't be surprised if Joseph Kaczynski gets in for Top Gun either. Like Top Gun, as we come down here to the last part of the year, it really does stand out more than the other movies, only because nothing ever, even Avatar wasn't able to really overwhelm. I thought that Avatar was going to come along and completely obliterate Top Gun, but it didn't. It, it, and, you know, it got kind of bad reviews. It isn't making as much money as fast as people thought it would. It's doing pretty well considering there was a huge storm over Christmas. Um, but yeah. it's, not, it's not doing what I thought it would do. I don't know. Like two billion, if it if it's going to be considered a success, let's say James Cameron. 
proclamation, and right now it's at 1.1 billion, and that's pretty amazing. For yeah, but that's that's international. They don't generalize generally look at that. They look at uh, they look at domestic right. yeah. when you're comparing to a movie like because Top Gun. The phenomenon of Top Gun is how much it made here, not being yeah. a superhero movie. You know. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Anyway, well. it's just. It's just a good movie, frankly. Like, it's just, it's not a great movie. It's a good movie, you know? Avatar? Top Gun. Oh, no, yes. Yeah, it's, it's a very good movie. It's not, it, it doesn't even try to become poetry in any way, shape, or form, but it's a very effective entertainment. And I think everybody uh, had a good time with it. Nobody really had a beef with it. Uh, yeah. uh, 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 it one last thing on that is if, if the pendulum is swinging, which I think it is, and mm-hmm. historians have said we're at the point where it's about to, to swing, then this is the moment, you know, when when Gladiator was this picture in, you know, at the turn of the millennium. Now here we are back again, and maybe Hollywood can save itself by going for a movie that is that big. Yeah like a gladiator kind of movie and it will switch the pendulum and maybe it will breathe new life into the film industry. Maybe. Okay. I don't know.